Welcome to the podcast, Crime Salad, where we talk true crime. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my husband and partner in crime, Ricky. The purpose of this podcast is to honor the victims through ethical storytelling in the hopes of preventing future tragedies. We want our stories to resonate and educate others in hopes that some of these similar cases with identifiable patterns can be prevented. Now, before we jump in, please let us warn you that this is a true crime podcast. The details of this episode may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion advised. This case serves as a reminder that evil exists everywhere and that it can strike anyone at any time and from any place. Following Sierra Joggins' unjust death, a powerful movement emerged under the name Justice for Sierra, an organization that provides self-defense, self-esteem, and self-awareness to children all across the U.S., Sierra's family hopes that by continuing her legacy, her story will make a profound difference in the lives of children. And so far, it looks like it really has made an impact. Sierra Joggin was born on February 11th, 1996 in Sylvania, Ohio, to parents Tom and Sheila Joggin. Sierra grew up with two brothers and two sisters. Growing up in a household like this was most likely full of activities and there was probably never a dull moment. This family was surrounded with so much love. Sierra, who was given the nickname C or Cece, had a bubbly personality from the very start. And as she grew into her adolescence, she was surrounded by friends and was described as the life of the party. Josh Kalasinski, her boyfriend at the time, was smitten by her bright and confident personality. During an interview with ABC's 2020, he stated that the high school sweethearts were best friends and that it was during the summer of 2016 when he realized this is the girl he wants to marry. Sierra, an intelligent and confident young woman, began her business studies at the University of Toledo after graduating from Evergreen High School in 2016. And during this time, she moved to Metamora, Ohio with her grandparents, mainly because of space. This is about a 45-minute drive to Toledo, but sources say that she did her school at home. The village of Metamora has a population of about 560 people, so a very small, tight-knit community where everyone is familiar with everyone, for the most part. It's pretty small. Yeah. On Tuesday, July 19th, 2016, the young 20-year-old decided to get some fresh air by taking her bicycle out for a ride. Zooming past the cornfields on a hot summer day along a rural road where a few cars passed by. Her boyfriend's house was a pedaling six-mile bike ride, but she was determined to make the trip. That's a pretty difficult ride for a hot July day, but I mean, at least the roads in Ohio are usually flat for the most part. But six miles one way, woof. I know, honestly, it's hard to make it around the whole neighborhood without getting tired. (laughs) You got that right. 
Now, when she arrived at Josh's house, they chatted briefly before she decided to return home. Josh decided to bike beside her, but not on his bicycle. He had a motorcycle and wanted to go along for the ride. A Snapchat video that Josh took around 6.40 p.m. proves this. It shows Sierra riding her bicycle and Josh riding along on his motorcycle. Sierra insisted after a few miles that she didn't need Josh to follow her home. They kissed and Josh told her that he loved her and to text him when she got home. Then they both went in opposite directions back home. As the night progressed, it was now 9 p.m. when Sierra's mother, Sheila, happened to drive by the house where Sierra was staying. And she noticed that her bedroom light, which normally would have been on at this time, wasn't. It wasn't alarming at the time, but something was definitely off. Now, Josh, her boyfriend, he never received a text or a phone call from Sierra indicating that she had arrived home. And she wasn't answering his calls. Her calls were going straight to voicemail. Worried, Josh called Sierra's mother and asked whether she had heard from Sierra. This was unusually strange. Sierra was always good at answering her phone or texting back quickly. She would especially text Josh after her bike ride that she had made it home okay. Something didn't feel right to Josh and her family right away. Sheila called her mother to see if Sierra was home or in her room, and Sierra's grandmother knew that she never came home. So she went outside to see if her bike was there in the garage, which it wasn't. Hmm. So at this point, they're thinking, did she get into a biking accident? Is her phone off? Plus, it's dark now, so it's like even more of a worry, I'd assume. Yeah. They were all wondering, where is Sierra? And so Josh decides to follow Sierra's path in the hopes of finding her along the road around 10.30 p.m., And Sierra's mother, Sheila, is also driving around, and she decides to pull into the fire station. Then she notices a police car that is parked in the parking lot. She approaches the officer and explains to her that her daughter was riding her bike and has not returned home. So now the police are getting involved, and they began searching County Road 6, where she was last seen. They had Sierra's description and her bike's description, so the search started people soon started to notice that the area was blocked off with flashing lights of a few police cars, giving them an uneasy feeling that they had discovered something. But it was unclear what exactly they discovered. The family, including her mother, were not allowed in this blocked off area and were told that the area was being investigated. How frustrating would that be? Like, especially if they found something and they're not telling you yet? Exactly. Now, keep in mind, this was only a half mile from her house. And as time went on, worry grew more and more for Sierra's safety. While driving along the road, a deputy noticed an area of cornstalks that appeared to be disturbed. He parked the car and he walked up to the broken cornstalks. It seemed unusual from the consistent straight rows and thought it was worth checking out. In pure darkness, the deputy shined his flashlight A few rows back, his light hit a reflector, reflecting the beam of light back at him. Looking closer, a purple GT mountain bike was hidden about three rows back into the cornstalks. This was the bike that Sierra was riding. Her earbuds were found in the dirt by the bike, but Sierra wasn't there. They have her bike, but where could Sierra be? Well, it seems that there were a few clues that have been left behind. So was there any damage to the bike? Was this maybe an accident or something like that? 
Well, the bike itself was actually discovered in pristine condition, showing no indication of being involved in an accident. That's weird. And along with this, there were numerous alarm signals that started blaring right away. It was deliberately parked in the cornstalks, propped up on its kickstand. Now, what sent a shiver down the officer's spine was the discovery of a few other unsettling items in the nearby area, raising concerns for Sierra's safety. A set of car fuses, a pair of men's sunglasses, a lime-colored green sock that appeared to be Sierra's, tire tracks from a motorcycle in the dirt of the cornfield, and blood streaks on some of the cornstalk leaves. It's weird that the bike was sitting up. Because when I first imagined this, I assumed it was, you know, someone threw a bike in the cornfield or was at least like trying to hide a bike in the cornfield. Yeah, it was only three rows back. So it is weird. And it was standing up on its kickstand. Like someone took the time to stand the bike up. But at the same time, they left like all this stuff on the ground. Yeah, it seems pretty careless to just leave your stuff at the scene. Careless or stupid? Probably stupid. Now, the terrifying scene was quickly closed off so that further investigation of this possible abduction site could be conducted. And so the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Investigation was contacted around 1 o'clock in the morning, and the team determined that based on the amount of blood, someone was clearly injured. There were blood specks on the bike seat and the handlebars. The blood found wasn't enough to convince them that this was a fatal attack, but it was enough to injure someone who was fighting back, and it screamed abduction. But at the same time, how do you abduct somebody on a motorcycle? Yeah, I feel like that's a very difficult task. Yeah, you would have to, like, drape them over your lap or something. Like, that would be so suspicious driving down the road. Now, the FBI did not notify her family until the following morning that her bike had been found. So did they say anything else? Like, they just talked about finding her bike? Like, what about Sierra or the blood? Well, they didn't really mention anything other than they found her bike and that Sierra is missing. Now, this is because the police have to be careful what information they disclose. This is all critical evidence to find Sierra. And if it falls into the wrong hands, it could delay the search for Sierra or it could put her in danger. There are so many reasons why they cannot share all of the information in an open investigation, like someone in the family or a friend could be involved. But I totally agree. What a frustrating situation. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to sleep at all that night. Yeah, no way. Now, the hunt for Sierra just got more intense. We know that the FBI got involved quickly in that media outlets spread the word that this young woman had gone missing. The small community with a big heart began to come together. They volunteered their time to assist in the search for Sierra Joggin. However, the public was unaware of what investigators discovered at the abduction scene. All they knew was that this girl was missing. Missing flyers were distributed and a $200,000 reward for information leading to the whereabouts of Sierra was set and the community came together as a team to find anything to help this family. And then a motorcycle helmet was discovered by a local farmer along the side of the road. And when he found it, he thought it would be a good helmet for his son to use. Now, because of the media coverage that Sierra was getting, he thought that it was a good idea to report it to the police just in case. This was a crucial piece of evidence that would lead to furthering the search. 
the top of the black helmet was actually stained with blood, giving investigators the thought that whoever abducted Sierra had hit her over the head with it, possibly when she was riding her bike down the road. So far, they have discovered evidence indicating that whoever did this to Sierra fled on a motorcycle and they knew that the last person she was with was her boyfriend, Josh Kalasinski, who owned a motorcycle. So naturally, investigators meet up with Josh and they question what he did that day and demanded to know where Sierra was. And we know how many cases involve the boyfriend or the husband. Right. And not to mention he was riding a motorcycle with her while she was riding her bike home. Puts him at the scene. Yeah, that's a pretty clear connection, right? And Josh, I'm sure, was completely nervous because he had this overwhelming feeling that his girlfriend had gone missing. And now, lo and behold, they suspect he is involved. Numerous cases exist where people are wrongfully convicted. If they said, you know what, it was you, and proceeded with that, as they most likely did years ago, that wouldn't have been good. Luckily, with DNA, we can now analyze evidence. Fortunately, investigators kept their ear to the ground. Even though Josh was still the main person of interest, they continued to gather information. Josh was eager to assist the police with whatever they needed. He agreed to let them test anything and everything that he owned. They searched Josh's belongings, his vehicles, and most importantly, his motorcycle thoroughly. And they discovered a pair of hunting overalls with blood on them. But it was later determined to be animal blood. This search generated nothing that suspected Josh was involved. I feel like that makes for a hard investigation because being that they're dating, he could have hair on him or, you know, other forms of DNA, like... I mean, honestly, even with you, it's like I'm pulling hairs out of my underwear. Like, <laughs> they're all over me. So how do you, you know, separate the two? Yeah, they had to look at the big picture. Josh does look like he could have been involved. I mean, he has the motorcycle. He's the boyfriend. Did they get in a fight or was there something going on? However, Josh was cleared by investigators. With everything they checked, nothing threw any red flags. Sierra's family reported that he was very good to Sierra, and they never believed that he could be involved. So they now have that box checked. The boyfriend wasn't involved. Cold weather is approaching, and for me, that means struggling to find the right temperature when I sleep. I recently found a way to stay at the perfect temperature all night long using silver-infused bedsheets by Miracle Made that were inspired by NASA. So now we can be comfortable all year long. The luxurious feel will have you waking up thinking that you're in a five-star hotel room and the amazing self-cleaning technology that is infused inside will have you never going back to those old sheets. These aren't your traditional sheets, which can normally harbor bacteria, cause allergies, and can still have that funky smell even after a wash. Miracle-made sheets stay cleaner and fresher longer because they are infused with silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. Our whole family is sleeping with Miracle-made sheets, especially our teenage boy. It comes in a sheet set, so you get two pillowcases and a fitted and flat sheet. It would make the perfect holiday gift for someone. Just casually ask them what size mattress they have. They won't be weirded out or suspicious at all. Go to trymiracle.com slash crime salad to try it today or gift it to someone special this holiday season. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Save over 40%. And make sure you use our promo code to get the best savings, which is Crime Salad at checkout. And you'll also get three free towels and save an extra 20%. 
Miracle is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you aren't 100% satisfied, don't worry, you will get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash crime salad and use the code crime salad to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash crime salad to treat yourself, a friend, or a loved one this holiday season. So the investigators have to start from scratch. What happened to Sierra? Police began knocking door to door to see if anyone had seen Sierra or had any information. Like, did they see anything strange that day? Any suspicious cars or anything? Keep in mind, this is a very small community. So something like this happening, like police knocking from door to door, wasn't unusual at all. Plus, this gives them a chance to, you know, meet people face to face ask them questions, see how they react, possibly get new information. But also, they're analyzing, like, the behavior of of these people, like, how they react to these questions. Yeah, like, did they come off as nervous? Or were they helpful? Or did they maybe see something that they didn't feel was big enough to report at the time? Just like the motorcycle helmet, that could have easily been something that went unmentioned. Yeah, for sure. A motorist came forward and reported that on the day Sierra went missing, they saw a bicycle lying on the side of the road and saw a man who was two or three rows deep in a cornfield bent over at his waist. This person didn't stop or anything, but they reported this as something that could possibly be helpful. Major Matt Smithmeyer of the Fulton County Sheriff's Office was helping with this case. This was a bit of a personal matter being that Sierra and his daughter went to high school together. He grew up in the same small town where he now patrols. Knowing the majority of the people in town, he wanted to make a special stop at a residence where a man lived who always struck him as odd. Major Smithmeyer wanted to check in with the local James Worley, who gave off very strange vibes. He lived on the same street where Sierra had been last seen. He was the type of person who would occasionally call the police to complain or report suspicious cars that he saw. And he was known as a talker, so it felt like it was definitely worth the trip. I feel like this is the type of guy you want to ask questions. The dude that's like sitting in his living room, listening to police scanner, staring out the window, looking for crime. Exactly. And like I mentioned, he was a talker, so he ended up talking a little too much, it seems, in law enforcement's favor, of course. And I'm sure other nearby neighbors appeared to be helpful or concerned, but James Worley opened the door quickly with his guard up. The stop at this residence was unquestionably worthwhile. As a result, during the ABC's 2020 segment, the investigators who were involved described the details of this incident in detail. Without being prompted or even asked, James Worley provided plenty of information. He comes straight up and asserts, I did not kill anyone. As the detectives heard the shocking defensive statements, alarm bells began to ring in their heads. Who says that? I didn't kill anyone. The deputy there decided to record his voice on his phone. James went on to say that he was riding his motorcycle when it broke down, prompting him to drive it into a cornfield. And while doing so, he misplaced a screwdriver, a box of fuses, and his sunglasses. He also discovered two bicycles in the cornfield. He was thinking about abandoning the motorcycle in the cornfield and either walking home or taking one of the bicycles 
But he got the motorcycle to start working and he made it safely home. When asked if anyone was near the bikes at all, he implied that there was no one around except for a few passing cars. And he came out and said something alarming again. I'm not out here killing chicks, dude. He went on to say that he has a number of girlfriends and is currently looking for a girlfriend online. And that girlfriend came into his house and went home alive. I love that he has to specify, like, she came home alive. I know, right? Handcuff this guy already. He is guilty. You know what's funny is, like, I would ask him to repeat that same story twice. (laughs) But hold on. Can you say that a little louder? Actually, do it a third time. Like, (laughs) see how many times he changes it. I'm sure at this point, the investigators just want to come out and ask, where do you have Sierra? He continued to incriminate himself. It seemed like the more he talked, the more he appeared to dig himself his own hole. And this wasn't an interrogation at all. Investigators were just knocking on doors and stopping by houses. Although it was a special trip, it wasn't portrayed any different. Right. He could have just said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I have no clue. I haven't heard anything. Sorry. No, I didn't kill anyone. (laughs) Now, what becomes quite confirming is the things that he mentioned that were present at the abduction scene. These things were never made public. He mentioned the glasses, the box of fuses, the screwdriver, and his helmet. You think that this would be enough proof to arrest him, but investigators were really on the bigger mission to find and get Sierra out of that house, hopefully alive. What was discovered on the property is extremely disturbing, and it's difficult to fathom how someone could do such a thing. The terror and agony that Sierra must have felt are beyond explanation. So please keep in mind that the crime scene that they discovered in the following section and beyond is quite upsetting. It is advised that listeners exercise caution while listening. Investigators returned to James Worley's house a second time, and this time with the team prepared to search for Sierra. Body cam footage recorded James, who answered the door. The police said they found his helmet, and James responded, Well, you can just hand it on over here because I need it back. But they weren't there to return James' helmet. They informed James, well, it was covered in blood. He replied, uh, no. (laughs) No what? He just said no. He allowed the investigators into the house to make sure that Sierra wasn't there, and she wasn't. So they asked if they could look over the rest of James Worley's property, which included a large barn separate from the house, located far enough away from the house to be mostly private. As they got closer to the barn, his demeanor changed. The investigators were closing in on the location, and his defensive behavior piqued their interest even more. Inside the barn, James urged the investigators to leave because it was getting extremely hot. The strong odor of cleaning agents and a freshly swept floor led them to believe that he was hiding something. They immediately asked, where is Sierra? And just as their suspect had done in previous conversations, he volunteered some information. He blurted out, I haven't stashed, hidden, or buried her. He said, regardless of what you believe, I did not commit the crime. Now, the investigators, they only stated that they wanted to find Sierra alive. They never once implied whether she was alive or not. They couldn't do much without a search warrant because James wouldn't let them look around the barn any longer. After receiving the search warrant, they conducted a thorough search. The mission's goal is to find Sierra Joggin, hopefully alive. 
The family's heavy burden of not knowing whether she was okay or not grew heavier by the day. Now, inside the barn, there were large hay bales stacked one on top of the other in an area. And although that's not too suspicious in a barn, upon further inspecting, an inflated air mattress was found behind the bales of hay. A rectangular green wooden storage crate was hidden as well. And inside this green crate were some unusual items that you wouldn't expect to find in a barn. Packaged inside Ziploc'd bags were labeled lace thongs, daisy dukes, a pink lace teddy, and other lingerie items. Adult diapers were also in this crate, and a sex toy. Alongside this unusual and shocking discovery was rope, duct tape, a baggie with hygiene items like toothpaste and a toothbrush and other things, and even a freshly made sandwich. But James Worley had a perfectly good reason for keeping this bizarre collection of women's lingerie in his barn. He gives them away as gifts to his girlfriends, but no one was fooled. When police discovered the number of restraints, including heavy-duty zip ties that were already in place and ready to tighten, his motorcycle, which had a few weeds stuck to it, handcuff keys, two sets of handcuffs, and a bottle of bleach. They determined that this man was on a mission to kidnap someone, hide them in his barn, and sexually assault them. Police located women's pink underwear with stains that tested positive for blood. Now, aside from the green crate, the barn was relatively clear. The investigators decided to move the heavy bales of hay in hopes of finding something. And once they moved all of the bales, they came across a cut-out piece of plywood with drill holes in it that resembled breathing holes. After they removed the plywood board, there was a door to a chest freezer. The chest freezer was buried beneath the barn floor, but it was empty, only lined with old stained carpet along the freezer's walls. The carpet had been saturated in a dark substance that was later determined to be blood, and it also was soaked in bleach. Although Sierra was not found in this chest freezer, it appears that she was most likely stuffed inside it at one point. The carpet was thought to muffle the sound of someone screaming for help. This was really built to keep someone against their will hidden and quiet so no one would suspect someone was in this barn. When they asked James about the freezer, he claimed that it was where he kept his weed. But the bleached, blood-soaked carpet lining inside it didn't make sense. Based on what they discovered, investigators felt like there was enough evidence to charge James Worley with kidnapping. All the while, investigators in Sierra's family and friends were in a state of panic and worry, wondering where Sierra could be and if she was okay. So what did James have to say about the mattress in the barn? Oh, he actually said, you won't find anyone's DNA on it except for his mom. But you might find a whole lot of bleach. Yeah. Now, at this point, Sierra has been missing for three days, and authorities have arrested a man who appears to be involved in her disappearance. The hunt, however, continued. Where was Sierra? With the community rallying to help this devastated family while keeping an eye out for anything strange or out of the ordinary, and along with the attention that this case was receiving from local media outlets, a farmer notified the police about something unsettling. Someone appeared to have dug on his property. 
It also appeared that something had been dragged for about 20 to 25 yards. He first noticed something odd while driving alongside his cornfield when he spotted a few broken corn stalks. This area was approximately two miles from James Worley's home. And when police arrived at the scene and saw what looked like a freshly dug area, crime scene investigators inspected the ground as they carefully removed the dirt. And gradually, the smell of decomposition became stronger. Soon enough, they discovered Sierra's body. They had to remove it carefully, which took nearly five hours of nonstop work and extreme caution in removing the layers of dirt. Wow, five hours. Now, seeing the condition that Sierra was in was unsettling, but no one wanted to slow down, even though it was a hot July day with temperatures reaching 95 degrees. Sierra was thrown into this hole carelessly, meant to never be found, meant to be hidden and forgotten, discarded like trash. Her ankles were taped and she was gagged, and her hands were handcuffed behind her back. She was dressed in a lace bra and an adult diaper. A rubber cone-shaped dog toy, which was secured with a shoelace, was tied at the back of her head, and it had been used to gag her. An autopsy revealed that Sierra suffered significant bleeding to her head that could have been from being struck by the motorcycle helmet. The medical examiner indicated the dog toy used as a gag was stuffed inside Sierra's mouth and was the same length as her mouth cavity. So it's believed that she suffocated to death. She was found with a broken tooth, so it was believed that from the force of shoving this dog toy in her mouth, she broke a tooth. It's obvious that she struggled before her death, as it took approximately 10 minutes after this gag was inserted to suffocate her. Her death seemed to be purposeful, as she would clearly be showing signs that she wasn't able to breathe. It was even more believable that this was on purpose because this horrible being who did this would watch porn videos on the internet of similar things like this. So it's like he got off on it. Hey listeners, we're taking a quick moment here to tell you about a favorite of ours. It's the podcast called Live Laugh Larceny. They take minor crimes and turn them into overly dramatic short stories. So picture an investigation discovery documentary complete with suspenseful music, exaggerated reenactments, and atmospheric sound design. But instead of discussing weighty issues like murder, they focus on petty offenses. Let me tell you a few topics that they've explored. A group of senior citizens get into a fight over a game of bingo. A woman ruins a kid's birthday party by throwing feces on the cake. And a man burns down his house to prevent his girlfriend from moving in. So if you need a break from the serious, come get petty with hosts Amanda and Trevin every Wednesday. You've never heard anything like their weekly sharing of terrible problems, killer facts, and small crimes. If you enjoy true stories of petty theft, check out Live Laugh Larceny, a true petty crime podcast. They're also on Twitter and Instagram at Live Laugh Larceny Podcast. The family's entire world crumbled when they learned Sierra's body had been discovered in a shallow grave on a farmer's property. The heartbreak felt by this family knowing Sierra was only a half a mile away from home, thinking about what she was feeling is heartbreaking. The family had to spend hours in therapy since they had to live with this nightmare of an experience. 
Now, this was not James Worley's first attempt at an abduction. In 1990, when he was 31 years old, he was driving his truck in a town about 20 minutes away from the location of Sierra's kidnapping. And there was a 26-year-old woman named Robin Gardner who was bicycling along a road lined by cornfields. And she hears his truck coming and expects it to pass her. But instead, the driver plows into her, causing her to fall off her bike. After getting out of the truck, he asks if she's okay. And he begins to hit her over the head with a hammer. Then he held a screwdriver to her neck, threatening to stab her as he attempted to shove her into the truck. Robin fought back, but he was much stronger. He placed a handcuff on one of her wrists. The fear of getting murdered gave Robin strength to fight off his attempts to completely restrain her. With no one around in the thickness of the cornfields, she feared her fate. And then the sound of a motorcycle was approaching. The commotion caused the rider to stop, allowing her to free herself and ride away on the motorcycle who safely drove her home. Honestly, the dude's a hero. If he wasn't there, she'd most likely be dead. And she continues to live every day, making sure she is never alone from the trauma that she experienced. Yeah, I bet. Now, six years from that happening, another incident was reported in Toledo, Ohio. Claudia Tinsley, who was a mother and a sex worker at the time, she disappeared on September 8th, 1996. The last time anyone saw her was when James Worley picked her up, but she was never seen alive again. Around this time, he was taken into custody, but he claimed they spent 45 minutes driving before dropping her off. Unfortunately, Claudia Tinsley was never located, and justice for her was never served. After being questioned, he claimed that he had nothing to do with her case. However, James Worley took a deal for three years in prison after pleading guilty to abduction. I hate that he was able to do this multiple times. But, you know, with Sierra's case, like, I'm surprised there wasn't more information about Claudia that came up. Yeah, I mean, you made a good point. I mean, there could be more women out there that have been abducted and killed by this man that we don't know of. Yeah, and like Claudia, we may never know of. And that brings us to his most recent abduction and the murder of Sierra Joggin. While in court, instead of facing the 19 charges that he was given, James Worley chose to play the pity me card during the trial. Because, you know, he was claiming that he was innocent. Even more heartbreaking is the family who had to sit there in that courtroom reliving what Sierra went through and looking at this monster and him looking right back at them who murdered this innocent girl and hearing him tearfully cry out that he too was an innocent victim. But his words were meaningless when compared to the mountain of evidence linking him to the kidnapping and murder of Sierra Joggin. Not only were the items found at the scene telling evidence, particularly the blood found on the motorcycle helmet, but Sierra's DNA was discovered on underwear found in the barn. There was a lot of evidence linking him to Sierra that was confirming. And also his computer search history was disturbing, showing that he had watched a significant amount of porn that involved very violent behavior. He even did these searches the day that Sierra went missing. Ah, gross. Yeah. His friend since high school testified that it seemed that John had an interest in starting his own pornography studio. I bet he did. Now, there was DNA evidence that was discovered under Sierra's nails that was never found who it belonged to. 
but it was thought by investigators that it could be placed to throw off the discovery, maybe. Yeah, I don't know about that one. Like, this dude, he seems too dumb for that. Like, I don't think he was planning ahead. There's too many things like the left behind objects and, and all of that stuff. It's like, he wasn't planning ahead. Yeah. Now, the defense, they explained that the state of Ohio hasn't proven every piece of evidence beyond a reasonable doubt because not all of the DNA evidence had been fully linked to James Worley. So whose DNA is it? We don't know. So what about the weirdo best friend guy that that talked to the police? Like, could he have been involved? Like, did they ever check that off? Oh, the high school friend who said that James was starting a pornography studio? Yeah, that guy. I didn't see anything about him specifically, but I did read that they used to watch porn all the time together, which was kind of weird. Little porn buddies. Yeah. Hmm. I'm sure they checked that, but still, I mean, this dude can't have many friends. Like, Right. Just creepy friends. But either way, I mean, he could have had an accomplice. Now, the Evergreen High School was located on the road where Sierra was riding on, and they provided surveillance footage to the police, and they ended up catching James Worley's motorcycle going back and forth and also his truck driving down the road that evening. And when he was questioned, he stated that he was looking for his motorcycle helmet. So to answer your question earlier, Ricky, about how someone can kidnap someone while riding a motorcycle, investigators believe that he came back with his truck picked her up, and then drove home. So if he came back to the crime scene, though, like, why did he leave the bike and, you know, all the different things that he left behind? Who knows? Maybe he wanted to get out of there ASAP. Now, whatever you think, whatever side you're on, it wasn't enough evidence to convince the jury. James Worley was charged with all 19 charges. He received the death penalty and was charged for abduction, felonious assault, kidnapping, murder, and aggravated murder. His death date is scheduled for May 20th, 2025. Now, because of what happened in 2016 to Sierra Joggin, her dreams were cut short. However, her legacy lives on and she continues to make a change in the world with the foundation created by her family called Justice for Sierra. This foundation aims to empower kids to protect themselves. Their website is justiceforsierra.org and they stated on the site, quote, our multifaceted approach to creating safe communities through empowerment, education, and advocacy is focused on preventing assaults and abductions and establishing systems for quicker recovery if someone is in danger, end quote. I think this is just such an amazing foundation. They also do 5K color runs every once in a while, and they get many sponsors for that. This nonprofit group has made an amazing impact so far. 3,655 violent offenders have been registered relating to Sierra's law. According to OhioAttorneyGeneral.gov, Sierra's aunt stated, quote, In those first crucial hours that Sierra went missing, law enforcement was able to access the sex offender registry. But we were shocked to find out that they did not have access to specific information on the people who have committed the most serious and violent crimes. We knew at the moment that we had to make a change. In 2018, the registry became available to the public and to the police. The fierce, strong girl with a huge heart and a loving personality is really changing the world. Her mom gave some really heartfelt words in an interview with ABC's 2020. 
She said that life is so short. You never know when it can be taken away. And so we should live fearlessly. Don't put off tomorrow what you can do today. Sierra lived that way. She lived by the words live, laugh, love. And her friends and her family really try to go by that small saying every day because they know if Sierra were still here, she would be doing just that. And that completes this week's episode. A very sad case, but I'm so glad this disgusting human being is in jail for a couple years and he's getting the death sentence. Yeah, I wish they would have got, you know, some justice for his other victims, but it is good that he's going to be taken out of here. Yeah. F him. F him for sure. And if you're really liking the show, please give us a five-star review. We really, really appreciate it. It really helps our show grow. And also, if you're not already a patron, you can jump on the Patreon wagon with us because we're doing side salads, which is little bonus mini episodes. And of course, ad-free listens. So definitely jump on that wagon. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. In the 1970s, John Todd burst onto the evangelical scene with a shocking tale. He claimed to be a former witch involved in a then unheard of secret organization called the Illuminati and urged Christians to prepare for a violent world takeover. First of all, the number one weapon in everybody's home should be a 12-gauge pump shotgun. Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.